But Road to Avonlea, Coach's Corner could be entertaining. See, this is the kind of content I bring to you. You were not ready for Coach's Corner, Road to Avonlea edition. No, I. you know what? Regardless of the Coach's Corner or not, I was just not ready for you to mention Road to Avonlea. I got references for days, Turnbull. References but, but, for but, days. But props to you, Carlos, for, you know, A, knowing what that is, and B, bringing it up in a way that actually makes sense. These are the deepest of the deepest cuts, people. Every time I say these little things, I want you to go to Google. I want you to look these things up. They happened. They're a thing. Very regional, but I'm telling you, they happen. You are listening to episode 25 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, the podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports topics they likely know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline with a hastily thrown together format. Brought to us this week by whoever the hell supplies Cam Newton with the goddamn hats. More on that later on. I'm Carlos Alcazar, and with me as always is Dave Turnbull. I, I like where you're going with this, Steve, Carlos. That's, that's pretty gonna be, funny. That's going to be my shout-out. We got an all-or-nothing of Carolina Panthers. I will speak more on this matter shortly. But first, we got a couple of matters, news, and notes, of course. We're going to be talking a little bit about that. And then I think in the main topic, we're going to talk about instant replay and coaches' challenges, good or bad for the sport, which is code for basically kind of a slow part of the sports calendar. We can give you the baseball scores if you want. I can talk about Aussie rules football. But otherwise, we'll talk about instant replay and coaches' challenges, good or bad for the sport. Okay. Also, I, you know what? I occasionally do this and I listen to you, you know, and, and last week's podcast. And I did catch a bit of the Aussie Rules football game on the Saturday that you were talking about. It was highly entertaining, especially the announcing. There's something about the Australian accent and that sport that just go hand in hand and fit perfectly. Here's the thing I ridicule pretentious cross country running all the time because it's fun for me. But I'm legitimately serious. Aussie Rules football is like. Pretentious cross-country running with like 50,000 tons of fun interjected into it and Aussie <laughs> accents. Man, this is the, the – why are we dealing with this ancient sport when we've got the next best generation? Plus, you have to kick on the run anyway. Like that no, takes totally. nobody. That takes uh, skill. And uh, but I, you can get Honestly, drilled. it would not be half as fun without the Aussie accent. It's true, but the thing is uh, – the thing that I enjoy the most about the sport, and we won't spend too much time on this, I promise, but the short version is the reason why I really like the sport is that there is a ton of action. There is a lot of scoring. It doesn't have to be, though. I watched a game where the two teams played pretty strong defense. They still scored, certainly, but they really you can clamp down on a team if you are tenacious with your defense. But being tenacious with your defense means swarming the guy with the ball, constantly swarming them. It means you can't get more than a couple of steps without somebody being right on top of you. And you have to make your kicks and you have to make your moves with the ball very strategically. It's not just, oh, yeah, randomly throw the ball up in the air. No, that's a good way to get yourself killed. My favorite part, though, was a lot of the major hits. They would show replays of hits that in almost any other sport would be like, yeah, give this guy a penalty of some kind. In Aussie Rules, is like, yeah, he got him pretty good. And he's back up. Okay. I like it a lot. Anyway, let's talk about news and notes here a little bit. So first of all, let's talk a little Jalen Ramsey. So Dave, I'm a little under the weather today, so I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Tell us a little bit about Jalen Ramsey. Can you fill us in? Okay. Well, he is a cornerback who plays for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And he's extremely outspoken. I feel that's a, a good brief on who the man is. A very, yes? mod a very modest man. Yes. Yeah. Uh, slash not at all modest. Uh, anyway, so being the NFL, training camps have started up. Jalen Ramsey, being Jalen Ramsey, showed up in an armored car. Good old-fashioned Brinks truck. Come on. You got to love it. Literally right? backing the Brinks truck up to the training camp. With the driver saying in a megaphone as he exits, it's time to get this money money. Yes. Now, you're wondering, wait a minute, is there a connection to anything specific here? Yes, there is. 
He is entering the final year of his rookie contract. The Jaguars exercise a fifth-year option in the deal, meaning he's tied to the club for $13.7 million in 2020. But who knows, being Jalen Ramsey, could this be somebody who decides he wants to hold out for more money? Absolutely. So we'll see what happens with that. But obviously, the man wants to get paid. And that's a pretty ballsy, cool, you know, thumbs up for me anyway, a way of doing it. I'm not a huge Jalen Ramsey fan, but the fact that he showed up with a guy with like an armored truck, he comes out of the back of the armored truck, not like the driver's side, like actually out of the back with his stuff for training camp, and the driver is dressed like a secu- uh, like a, a Brinks security driver. Props to him, man. Yeah, he went all out for it. He definitely had the theatrics down. So, you know, in a kind of a slow part of the football schedule, it's kind of uh, fun to have at least a story like this. It's pretty lighthearted. It's really harmless. It is obvious that he does want to get paid, which, you know, most NFL players do. I will say that a lot of these little theatrics are kind of uh, really an exclamation point on the on the fact that the NFL is probably going to end up having a little bit of a, a very protracted negotiation for the next CBA because the use of um, different... Uh, franchise tags and being able to franchise tag somebody multiple times and the rules related to that and how all that works out. It's interesting because if you're a top-end player, at the end of the day, you do make good money, but the fact that nothing that the guaranteed money isn't really that great still in the NFL for most players is probably going to be a bone of contention for the CBA. So we're, we're going to see how that looks in the long run, but a lot of these leagues are really uh, amping up to what's going to be a lot of labor strife, a lot of CBA discussions in our future, unfortunately. It's not really the funnest thing to talk about, but it's going to happen. You know, honestly, though, I honestly feel that every sport seems to be coming to, well, not every sport, not, maybe not the NHL, but certainly uh, MLB has some really big contentious issues that they need to talk about, figure out the NFL, the NBA. So once these deals, uh, the collective bargaining agreements expire, I think we could be in for a, potentially a lot of labor strife in a lot of leagues. There certainly is, absolutely. And with a lot of that TV money out there, a lot of the players in these different leagues are looking at that and saying, well, there's money out there to be gotten. So I think uh, I think it's it's a harbinger of things to come. It's not uh, it's not going to be the, f- the first or the last person to pull a stunt like this it's to get to try to get attention to their contracts. So next story that I want to talk that we're going to talk about a little bit is uh, local favorite Vince Carter and the possibility that it might end up. He, he has announced that he does want to play one more season. He is still an unrestricted free agent. But there is a little bit of a little bit of a groundswell support with the idea that maybe he could come back for Toronto for one more run, especially in kind of a transition year for the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, and that's I think honestly at this point that's something that I wouldn't mind seeing. Uh, so as you mentioned, he is out of contract right now and wants to play one more season. Which the interesting thing about this is that if he indeed does play one more season, it's an NBA record. It, it is. It's an NBA record, twenty-two seasons, and. That's impressive just on that fact. Uh, I think he's got the skill still that he can be an effective role player. And the thing that I will give respect to Vince Carter about is I think he's always really known who he is and what kind of skill set he has, right? So, you know, there was a time when he was top five in the NBA, right? When it was, you know, Air Canada, Vince Sanity with the Toronto Raptors. And then his career sort of, started to go on the decline after he left the Raptors. Not saying they're related or anything like that. Uh, he was traded, to be fair. I think, but their, I think though, things got sour. I think that what made it interesting is that I think his skills were still there. I think his capabilities were still there. But I don't think his focus was where it should have been to utilize his skill set. 
What's interesting about Vince Carter is that Vince, Car- Vince Carter, even past the age of 40, can do something that a lot of players his age can't do. He can still score a little bit in bunches. He doesn't try to play a full game. He he basically is the anti-Carmelo Anthony. He doesn't delude himself into thinking he's a starter at this at this point in his age. Oh, exactly. And that's the point I'm trying to, I was trying to make is to say that like I respect that because he said, you know, like I just want to play and I want to contribute. And he's willing to do that in any way that at, at this point any team will have him. I'm surprised honestly he didn't end up with the Lakers based on the fact they just needed warm bodies, but you know, he's he's done well for himself by not being delusional and two other things that i think are going to play into the possibility of this certainly no guarantee but i think two other things that will play into this is that he doesn't really necessarily he hasn't shown a propensity for ring chasing so he really doesn't seem interested in that he seems okay with playing with younger players which is kind of one his stop over in atlanta and a couple of other stops along the way recently in sacramento so he's willing to play the role he's willing to play and the thing is at the same time he can still dunk a basketball He's just not going to do it all the time. It's not going to be something he's going to go actively do, but he is physically capable of doing that. And it's one of those things where he's an interesting case because you've got, you know, occasionally you'll have people going, well, you know, he's he's been playing for so long. Why does he keep playing when, you know, another player could have the roster spot? And I think my argument is the same as his. He's still good enough to have that roster spot over that other player, which means that other player needs to get better if they want to take it from a 41 or 42-year-old Vince Carter. If he can still play better than the 22-year-old guy in the G League, well then... I say suit up Vince Carter. Yeah, and you also know you you have a guy who's willing to contribute however he, he can. So he's not going to be you – know, his ego is not going to be a problem to the team. Yeah, I think about a bottom line at this stage in his career, I think there is still room in the NBA for Vince Carter as long as he's able to play and as long as there's a team who will have him. And I think yeah. that's I think that could be possible. I think it would be a good feel-good story, equivalent of like a one-day contract, but instead of a one-day contract, just let him play out the last season. He can come out yeah. there, get some ovations at the end, and then walk off into the sunset. You know, and I and I I mean, he has also said that he's willing to be open. Well, he's definitely open to the idea of you know finishing his career with the Raptors and sort of bookending it like that. Uh, whether where the Raptors are right now, that's something they're interested in, in terms of having him on the roster for the whole season. I could certainly see him signing like a one day contract at the end of this season with the Raptors. I'm just not sure that it's it's going to happen any more than that. I think it would be nice, and I'd totally be supportive of it. Not just for the sentimental value, but I also feel that he can be a contributing role player, especially for where the Raptors are right now. And the fact that they do have a lot of young guys who are coming up that could benefit from learning from Vince Carter. Absolutely. And someone who knows the market and knows the city well at, in addition to that. I think there's a little bit of a gate attraction there for a little bit of nostalgia for some fans who grew up in that era. Now that the team has won an NBA championship, even if there's no success forthcoming, I think it's a good... Um, it would be kind of a good feel-good story for some of the OG Raptor fans who grew up with Vince Carter in his peak when he was one of the top players in the NBA. Not even necessarily talent-wise, although he had tons of talent. He was definitely, though, a major star player. Like, for his time period, when he was at his peak, he was a star. And the and the All-Star game where he won that dunk contest still gets put on replays all the time. So it's one of those things where, like, for that time period, it was as big a phenomenon in the game as they could have had. All right, sticking with the NBA... Let's talk about our friends, the New York Knicks. The New York Knickerbockers. Special franchise. So, Dave, can you explain this article? Here's the thing, and and, and this isn't really news. Like, it's a note. It certainly isn't news. But as you are aware, uh, KD and Kyrie Irving signed with the Brooklyn Nets, who are the better team in New York and the more popular team in New York. I don't care what anybody says. However, 
As Carlos has mentioned to us many multiple times, New York Knicks fans are delusional. And this list now includes Walt Clyde Frazier, who is surprised that KD and Kyrie would sign with the Nets when they could sign with the Knicks. And it's like, again, what is it with Knicks fans thinking the Knicks are so great? It's it's like exactly what you said last week or the week before, that somehow the, the aura of Madison Square Garden has made people, some people think the Knicks are actually good. They have, what, two uh, NBA championships? Two championships in the 1970s. Yeah. Okay, so that is one more than the Toronto Raptors, who have only been in the league for 24 years, whereas the Knicks were an original franchise in the NBA. And really, outside of that run and the Patrick Ewing era, they haven't really been relevant. Pretty much ever. They've been decent teams. You know, during a lot of the years with Patrick Ewing, they had decent teams. Teams that showed flashes of potential. Things, teams that showed maybe if the, if, the, if the dominoes fall the right way, they could be there. They got to the NBA Finals a couple of times, but it, it just never worked out for them. And But that was it. It's one of those things where it's like, you're just an okay franchise. For how long you've been in the league, your your track record is just kind of okay. And, yeah. And really- it, you know, when people, if you think of, you know, most people, I think, if you said, okay, historically, two best teams in, in the NBA, most people are going to say the Celtics and the Lakers. And then when you think, you know, East versus West rivalry, that's what you think. You don't think of the New York Knicks. Yeah. They just weren't good enough for long enough to be relevant Outside of the fact, number one, they're in New York, and number two, Madison Square Garden as a facility has a tremendous history. It's got a ton of history to it, but you can't ride the coattails of a building and a city you happen to be in forever. It would be the equivalent of the New York Yankees trying to, oh, uh, you know what? It would be this. It would be the New York Mets trying to pretend they're the New York Yankees while being in New York and having their two championships. It would be them just saying, acting like they're the Yankees, where it's like, no, you're the Mets. Yeah, you have, and you have yeah, history, and people but know. But see, the difference is, even New Yorkers and Mets fans know that the Mets are the Mets. I was talking to somebody when I was going to Shea Stadium the last year that Shea Stadium was up, which was a garbage dump of a stadium. And he said, "You know, some of my best memories are, you know, going with my dad to baseball games and watching the Mets lose." There's no pretension about the Mets actually being. Yeah, have they had some good years? Absolutely, have. They have their couple World Series. You had the, the Subway Series, and, and that stuff is really entertaining. But nobody goes, oh, they're this traditionally historic, amazing franchise. They aren't. They've had their moments. And they made the most of them. Uh, but they've never pretended that they were the Yankees, right? Because the Yankees are the Yankees, and people know that. So it's something about it. So it's not a New York thing. It's, it's a Knicks thing. And well, I think maybe if Brooklyn had been around longer and been the more successful franchise, you'd have that where people would just accept that the Knicks were the Knicks and Brooklyn was actually the good team. But for some reason, New York Knicks fans think they're the the shit when they haven't been other than like two years, really. No, 1970 and 1973, for the historical record, uh, that's it as far as the Knicks are concerned. Although your point that you made a moment ago about if Brooklyn had been around longer would have been kind of funny. I kind of wish now that the Brooklyn had been not necessarily around the same amount of time as the Knicks, but let's say let's say their history goes back to like the 60s or 70s. I would love for them to have come into the NBA as the Brooklyn Dodgers. Just uh, just a little little historical nod right there. Just uh, just a little something. Yeah, that'd been fine. I'd be okay with that. 
Yeah, I don't think the Dodgers in LA would have been okay with it, but uh, it would have been kind of fun because it's, it's a different sport. So I'm like, no, call them the Dodgers. So the Bro- what happened? The Brooklyn Dodgers won a championship. Not not that one. Not no, not the Jackie Robinson one. The other one. Oh, you'd have to call them the 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 Brooklyn basketball Dodgers, right? As opposed to the New York Football Giants. Something like that, exactly. Although I do enjoy that they still do get called the New York Football Giants, even though the New York Giants baseball team has been out of there for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting the quirks that some of these teams have. But as far as the Knicks are concerned, you know, Clyde Frazier, God bless him. But at the same time, it's like, dude, no. The, the Knicks ain't it, buddy. That What they have is they have a market. They have an arena with a lot of history and money, but the players don't seem to care. I think they really do look at that uh, front office and the owner and say, ah, and then there's really no history. Even if you're a New York basketball player, yeah, you know the Knicks, you're aware, but it's but it's there's no history to draw back from. You can't really say, oh, I grew up watching the Knicks, you know, compete for whatever. Even competing for champions, really, for the most part, what hasn't been a thing for them. Yeah. So we'll leave that piece there. Just add Walt Clyde Frazier to a long list of delusional Knicks fans. Absolutely. So Dave, I think you know what time it is. It is time for the pretentious cross-country running report with Dave Turnbull. Beautiful. Uh, thank you for that, Carlos, as I always enjoy the introduction. So I actually am not going to complain about something this week. So All that's right. a th- Shut down the podcast. Something has happened. <laughs> I'm sending the search party. We'll find Dave. It's okay. I actually want to give a shout out to something in soccer that I think works and a particular team which I think has done well by overachieving so far. I want to give a shout out to the Canadian Championship, which is run by Canada Soccer. So it's not run by CONCACAF, thank God. Was it won by the Baltimore Stallions? That's all I need no, to know. No, Enough with the Baltimore Stallions, Carlos. I will they're gone never. and they're not coming back. One day, the Baltimore Stallions will rise again and win the Canadian Championship because it is their destiny. Speaking, speaking of randomly, do you know there's actually a, a group of Stallions fans that attends the Great Cup every year? Why not? They, they, even though they had a short run, they did have success. The so they show up with their good. Stallions gear and, and, you know, and respect to that. But anyway, the Canadian Championship is a team for, uh, sorry, tournament for club teams in Canada, obviously. And the winner of this goes and plays in the CONCACAF Champions League. It's the only, Canada only gets one spot, and this is how they determine who plays in the CONCACAF Champions League. But let's just throw that aside for a second. So just so we're clear, there really are a lot of ways to get into the CONCACAF Championship. Well, only one if you're a Canadian team. But if you like play FIFA really well, do you get into the CONCACAF Championship? Because I feel like that's a legitimate Not way. Not if you're from Canada. Potentially if you're from the United States or Mexico, but not if you're from Canada. Fair enough. So Canada has been getting more and more MLS teams. You know, they've been growing. They've been getting – now they have the Canadian Premier League. The other thing that's weird about this tournament is that the format has changed every year, right? It hasn't stayed consistent. Basically right now what they did this year is, for example, TFC, who won it last year, was automatically plugged into the semifinal round. So the tournament is now – the next round on August is August 7th, and that's the semifinal round, the first of two legs. TFC was plugged in that from the very beginning. They haven't played a game yet. Whereas other teams have been playing since May. But the new thing this year was the Canadian Premier League teams have been playing. uh, Some of them. So, and yes, Hamilton lost. And Hamilton lost to the team I'm about to give a shout out to. Uh, But that is Calvary FC, which is the Calgary-based Canadian Premier League team. And and they are now in the semifinals against Montreal uh, Impact. And then Toronto is in the semifinals against the Ottawa Fury. The reason I want to give them a shout out is they started in the qualifying round number one. So they've been they've had to play every round, whereas some of the teams they've beaten have not. Potentially, if they beat Montreal, they're going to the final against TFC or Ottawa. Probably going to be TFC, but you never know. Uh, Montreal will probably beat them. But I think for them to have come this far, 
one, great for them, and two, I think, great for the tournament. Well, I think your reoccurring theme for you is just uh, competitiveness. As long as it feels like there's real teams that have a chance, and it doesn't feel like it's just slated in such a way where it's a one-sided thing, where you're pretty much lined up to get the same result over and over again. Because I think that was what killed you, frustrated you with uh, with the CONCACAF, where it's just kind of the same results. You kind of end up with almost the same team yeah. again. No, but, but, you know, because in a region, CONCACAF, where the region gets so many things wrong, here is finally something to deal with soccer where they've gotten it right, in my opinion. We've had 13 teams in total in this competition. Play will play eventually a total of 24 matches. And good soccer, depending on obviously what your definition of good is, but I'll say it's good soccer. It's competitive. It's worth watching. And shout out to the Canadian Soccer Association for making a good tournament. And shout out to Calvary FC for making the semifinals. Exciting times. And that concludes a very positive spin on the pretentious cross-country running report. Don't worry, there'll be something that'll piss me off next week that I'll get back to being angry about. Well, I, that's pretty much what the people expect at this point. This is this wasn't really a ranting, raving one this time around. It was just kind of a change of pace for you. Fair enough. Before we get to the main topic, I do want to give one shout out because it was something that I binge watched when it came out. There is, a, if you have Amazon Prime, there is All or Nothing, the Carolina Panthers, which was the story of the 2018 Carolina Panthers season where they got off to a 6-2 and two start and then just kind of collapsed down the stretch and just the decline of the team, the injuries that piled up and different things that happened. I will say kind of the standout of it for me, because there's always a couple of standout characters, if you so to speak, is that I like the owner of Carolina. That, that dude's interesting. I will also say that I found the, the weird dynamic of Cam Newton in the course of that series was very interesting. Because the man will talk about how he's dedicated and to his craft and whatever. And the thing is, I don't doubt he works hard. I don't doubt he goes and works out, keeps his body in shape, you know, studies film, uh, studies plays for his team, and tries to do tries to play well. But at the same time, you seem to have an awful lot of time because throughout the show you could look at he was in his cigar lounge just hanging out. The man has enough time to plan out these elaborate outfits and these ridiculous hats. And I go, if you've got enough time to do that, I feel like you're still leaving something on the table as far as football preparation. Because at the end of the day, if you've got enough time to do that, I feel like... If you're not winning the whole time, maybe there's still something more you can do rather than worrying about what your next outfit is going to be or how your hat's going to look. But for Cam, the image is important. Look good, play good. Cam Newtonism for uh, for that show. It is very interesting. If you get a chance to check it out, definitely check it out. It's interesting just watching the course of a football team over the course of a season. See how the players and the coaches and everybody reacts to it and works through all the different aspects, and the players and the coaches themselves become characters in and of themselves because you do get to see a little bit behind the curtain, which is always interesting. I will always say take it with a grain of salt, given the fact that you are editing the show to make it interesting, to put a narrative together on each episode, but also bear in mind that these players know there's a camera on them. They're literally talking to the camera throughout the episodes, so you're always going to be a little different when there's a camera in front of you, and even if you're talking to somebody having a supposed candid conversation, the camera's still there. You know, yeah, and when you know it's there, people play it up more, right? Yeah, your approach to the way you're going to have this conversation might be a little different than if you didn't know that camera was there or if it wasn't there at all. But it's still interesting. It's kind of fun to watch for what it is. I would, I would recommend if you're a football fan, check out the All or Nothing Carolina one. I usually check out the All or Nothings. They're kind of interesting. I enjoy them. We enjoy the shoutouts too, Carlos. I try, I try, I try to bring something to the table here. Also, can, can I can I mention something before I watched most of the uh, the Winnipeg Hamilton game tonight? Shout out to the Thai Cats because they actually won. Uh, they 
Winnipeg was the only undefeated team left in the CFL. But did you know? So you know, I have the advertising on the field. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. Not you know, the sports interaction is advertisement on the field. I've heard of that. Yeah, I think I've seen a little bit about them. They're they're getting out there a little bit more. I think they're doing stuff with TSN as well on the website. I believe they're trying to make more. Does that mean? Does that does that mean the gambling laws have changed? Well, technically speaking. In Canada, you can still wager on sites like that. Anyway, it's it's been kind of legal for a while, right? But I thought doesn't that I thought you couldn't use your your credit card. I think they've loosened up on that. Okay. Although, like, we it's good. I, I feel this is good. I feel it's a bit of a gray area still. It's one of those things where like they don't want to crack down it too hard, but at the same time, I know the casinos in Canada are going to want them to really regulate it carefully because I'm sure the casinos would like to have their action. But I would say to them, if they want more action, uh, improve the options available for sports wagering at the casino. And I think you'll get a little bit more action at the casino. That's just the way it is. Because right now, the options available are kind of limited compared to sports books out in the U.S. So just something to keep in mind. If you don't give the customers options, they're going to look for it. Here's a little historical reference for you. What happened when they did Prohibition? Almost immediately, the speakeasies opened up, you know, the bootleg distilleries, all this stuff. Why were they, they... They didn't exist before Prohibition. Why? Because... The alcohol was out there. As soon as you try to take it away, people find a way to try to get the to whatever it is, a service, a product, whatever it's going to be. The more you try to tell them no, the more they try to find a way to get it. All right, main topic time. So with that said, we're going to talk about instant replay and coaches' challenges. We know they're there for a reason, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But are they more on the good or the bad side for the sport? There's different arguments you can make depending on it. The opening salvo I give to you, Mr. Turnbull. Where do you want to go? Honestly, I'd like to break it down sport by sport, I think, because that's where my head's been at. But this was prompted in my mind by two things that have actually happened this summer. So it's not just we picked a topic out of the air because, you know, slow sports season. But a couple of things have happened this summer uh, that we didn't really talk about too much that I wanted to kind of use as a lead into this. And that's two things. First of all, the fact that we've learned that basketball is going to be getting coaches challenge. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is something that happened in the Women's World Cup. So I think I'm going to start with soccer because, you know, that's one of my bread and butter sports. And the idea here is that so soccer has something called VAR, right, which is a video assistant referee. Are you familiar with how it works, Carlos? I'm guessing the referee is actually making the call. What does the video do? What is so, the well, so, yeah. So what happens is there's actually uh, – and this is kind of funny, especially at the World Cup because they show the room. So there's actually a room with an official who watches the match and looks at the replays in real time. Okay. And the funny thing about it is they wear the same uniform as the officials on the field. Even though, they, like, you know, they got the socks and they got the shorts and it's like, wait, why? You're wait, sitting what? in an air-conditioned room. Yeah. Wait, actually, hold on. I can think of one reason why maybe they would do it. I actually, I, I right off the top, I can think of one reason. And that is? What if they assign the crew for the game but don't decide which one's going to the booth until be right beforehand. I don't think they do that, though. I mean, that, that makes would make sense. sense. That, would, that would be like a really smart way. That way you don't know which one is going to be the video judge. So they all yep. have to dress the same. So hey, it goes, today it's you. No, nope, that makes sense. So, um, so you're anyway, saying it makes anyway, too so, much sense and it's wrong. Yeah, exactly. What happens is if there's a play that they feel that video assistant referee feels a clear, and this is always the language, a clear and obvious error has been made, then they will buzz the referee or talk to the referee somehow and say, you need to go take a look at this play. Now the referee now goes and looks at the play, but they still have the power as to whether to change the call or not. So it's still left with the ref. Now in soccer, during the match, there are four officials on the field. 
one on each line, one in the middle, and one that stands on the side and usually gets yelled at by coaches and, you know, holds up the substitution board. But it's the one in the middle that actually goes to a screen that's just behind the net or off to the side of one behind one of the nets and looks at the video. And the thing that I don't like, so right now, originally I was like, yes, this is great. And now I'm starting to change my mind. And the reason is, is because it's starting to fundamentally change the game. And that is what I don't like. And that's sort of maybe my overarching theme here is where I, where, where I don't like it is when it starts to change the game or the way the game's being played. And in addition to something else, which I'll get into later. But the thing that happened in the Women's World Cup is the rule, as stated in the rule book, is that a goalkeeper on a penalty shot cannot move off the line. So their feet have to be touching the line and cannot move forward towards the ball until the ball is kicked. Once the penalty, the person taking the penalty shot kicks the ball, then they can you know move in whatever direction they want. And they can go side to side before, they can go back if they want, but they can't go forward off the line. Until uh, the, the ball, ball is kicked. Touch. Correct. Now, if you've ever watched a penalty shootout or any penalties prior to the Women's World Cup this year, the goalkeeper always comes off the line. In some cases and in some matches I've, I've watched, the goalkeeper is almost like halfway to the ball by the time, now, which is a little ridiculous, but it's never called. Okay. Right? It was one of those things. And the, now... The issue is application of the rule. It's right. there, and but it's now, not in the Women's World Cup, a goalkeeper was coming, you know, half inch off the line, uh, saving the penalty shot, and they were ordering it retaken. So, yes, you can argue, you can say, okay, yeah, like, by the letter of the law, sure. But two things. One, the game is, it's never been an issue before, right? And, and things that come up in, in soccer that people argue about, the goalkeeper coming off the line in a penalty shot is not one of those things that gets a lot of attention, if any. Now, obviously, it got some because of VAR. But you're slowing the game down, you're stopping the game, and, and remember, soccer is a sport where the clock doesn't stop. So it's supposed to be continuous. And, you know, the referee has to get buzzed, and now the referee has to go over and look at the thing, and it always takes more time than it should. Because that's my other problem with this in general, is if, it take, if you have to go to a screen and watch a replay, and then watch a replay from another angle, and then watch it from another angle, and you have to look at it from six different angles, it's not clear and obvious. You shouldn't be, VAR should not be involved. That's that's another issue I have with that. So overall, in soccer, I don't I I no longer like it, and I'm not a fan. Are calls going to get blown if you don't have instant replay like that? Absolutely, they are. 100. They always will in any sport because it happens. But I think if it's fundamentally changing the way the game's being played, then I think it's doing more harm than it is good. Could the kinks be worked out potentially? But as of right now, and the way it's being applied, VAR and soccer, I'm a thumbs down. Okay. So basically, from what I gather from what you're trying to say here, is for me, VAR just sounds like booth review. That's really all it sounds like. It's just another name for booth review, basically. Uh, well, I mean, it's just, it's a very similar process in the sense that you get buzzed down, as yeah. you would in the NFL, yeah. and then you go to the – it's not a booth. They don't have the hood they do in the NFL. But sure. basically, you go to a computer screen and you watch replays until you've made your decision. Right. But that's the thing. If you want to make the link to football, I don't mind it in football for a couple of reasons. There's more well, ways yeah. for the there's more ways for the ball to be manipulated. There's more ways sure. for I, I think yeah. Yeah. But but the other thing is it's part of this this strategic nature of the game now. So has it changed the game? Yes it has. Has it fundamentally changed football? Some may argue yes. I'm gonna say no, but coach has to think about it because if you don't get it right you lose a timeout. Whereas in soccer, there is no coach's challenge part to this. It's strictly 
another official saying, I think we blew this, you better take a look. So it's sort of like the whole game is played like the last two minutes are of each half in the NFL. Well, I mean, so the booth review can be, uh, well, VAR, we'll call, it, we'll call it that. Can that be initiated as many times as is needed during the game? Correct. Okay. Which also could potentially, right? whereas even theoretically, yeah, it could be issued multiple times in the last two minutes of a game in the NFL. But how often does that happen where you're seeing multiple booth reviews in an NFL game no, that are initiated by the booth? Yeah, no, I get it. So ba- effectively what you're saying as far as the, um, as far as the soccer example is, is that it just kind of wrecks the flow. Given yeah. that it is a continuous clock, it kind of messes with the flow of the game. Absolutely. And sometimes it's, you know, you also have that the thing now where something might be content or some, you know, maybe it's not actually contentious, but someone will say like the players will be like, oh, I think that was offside and it wasn't called. They're going to stop the game, even though they haven't initiated a challenge, a, a, a booth review. But the referees, there tapping his earpiece saying, I'm waiting to hear if they're going to tell me I need to check it, you know, so you lose even more time by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the NFL and the CFL as well. Stoppages are part of the game. That's part of football. You're used to that. So having a couple more stoppages per half, potentially, isn't really changing the flow of the game, the nature of the game. It's not really making it fundamentally different. In football, I don't have a problem with it. I like that the coaches get rewarded if they're right. So if they get both right, they get a third challenge. Uh, If you get it wrong, you lose. You don't get your, your challenge back and you lose a timeout. Uh, so there's a strategic part of the game in there that I, I, I like, too, because I like the strategy that's in sports in general. Yeah, so it's more of a risk-reward. It's not just you do this, and then if you're wrong, nothing happens. You you can lose something that could mean something to you, especially later on in the game. You you might need that timeout at a critical moment if you need to control the clock at the end of the game. So that could be a yeah, big deal. Exactly. For sure. So now, what do you, now, what do you think about, just as, as we talk about the NFL – the fact that um, pass interference is going to be subject to review now. I'm okay with it. Realistically, for me, when it comes to replaying the NFL, my thought process has always been the same. I don't care what you want to review. You, I, I, I feel, I feel okay reviewing anything. But for me, it's just limit the amount of times you can do it. So if you want to use, which it, they like, do, yeah, but that's what I mean. Like you may as well just for me, since you have a limit and it's a fairly low limit, you don't want to review anything, anything where a ball moves, anything where a play could be knocked out, anything where you can do. Now you still got to go with the same thing. It's got to be definitive. You've got to see an angle where you can. You're very clear on what it is you're trying to do. But as long as you've got that, you know what? Challenge whatever the hell you want. But if you're going to challenge a ball spot in the first quarter, in the first five minutes, that might not be your best use. Even if you're right, that still might not be the best use of your challenge. But if you choose to do use that, use it for that. Knock yourself out. I really, I don't mind. Um, can I say something? I just want to interject here. You just Sorry. did. I know, but I'm 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 watching a multi hashtag multi screen life. I have a soccer game on right now. Okay, a guy just scored. We've seen the replay. He's clearly on side, and now they've stopped play, and they're waiting to see if the referee should say, uh, "You need to check the play." I'm sorry, you lost me. You said you said you're watching a pretentious cross country running game on the television, and you're saying Correct. that someone scored. Correct. Should this be one of our news and notes? Someone <laughs> scored in a soccer game. It only happens no. like once every ten or fifteen no. games. But the point is, he's the re- the replay showed he's clearly onside. They're playing now again, and but there was a stoppage in time there where the referee was had his hand on his earpiece, being like, "They're talking to me. I'm waiting to hear if they think I should check the play." Are you sure they where, weren't? Are you, sure, are you sure the delay wasn't the result of the, after the players score, the players carrying him off the field, regardless of what time it is? We've won the game. There's more time left. We scored a goal. We won the game. 
Believe it or not, Carlos, that was actually the second goal of the game. This is outrageous. I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. That's just nonsense. Anyway, so <laughs> as far as football is concerned, I'm good with it because of the limit. The limit, I think, is the key. If you're going to do it, I don't care what it's for, but if you're going to do it, I want to put discretion. I want to make sure it isn't something you can just do willy-nilly and just do it as many times as you want. I think if you're going to do it and you're wrong, I think you should get punished. I think there should be a penalty of sorts for being wrong. But if you're generally right and you've been aggrieved and it's flat out a wrong call and for some reason they don't pick it up, pick up on it themselves, I think you should have a way of going like, you know what, look at that again. I think you're wrong because that doesn't make any sense. So that w- that covers your pretentious cross country running in football. Do you have do you want to think? Do you have any thoughts about that on baseball? Uh, you know what? Honestly, I still think baseball takes too long. It definitely takes too long. That one, uh, that one, without it, it question, takes, it takes too long. long. Without question, you know, it takes too long. And the thing is, the one thing that I've, I've actually heard people talk about the way baseball's done it, and I actually feel this will be potentially interesting. And I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm curious. Is right now they it all it's all centralized. It goes to New York, yep. and they basically say, "Here's the call on the field. Are should it be overturned? What if they didn't tell them what the call on the field was? What if they just said, "Okay, tell us whether this is safe or out." Ah, uh, you mean in baseball? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think for me, it's well. Hold on, are you talking about like when a batter's out at the plate no. or something? Like that? Yeah. So let's say it's a it's a like a bang bang play at first base. Yeah. Uh, and he's called out. He thinks he's safe, and the the manager says, we want to check it, okay? So it goes to New York, and now they say, okay, we've called him safe, or sorry, out, but is that the correct call? As opposed to just saying, okay, there's a bang-bang play at first, New York, what is it? Okay, okay, I get you. So I think the only problem with it, they don't apply it the same way, but I think it's a similar problem what the NFL has. The only reason they do the call on the field thing is that if you agree with the call on the field, then the threshold is shorter. It's it's a lower threshold. You're basically saying if it's an out and then you look at it upstairs, what you're doing is you're looking for definitive evidence that the person's safe. As opposed to if you it looks kind of borderline, if you say that the call on the field is an out, then you go upstairs and then really you're just saying, do I have definitive evidence to overturn this? If not, I'm sticking with the call in the field. I think that's yeah. the rationale behind it. The, otherwise, really, it's it's supposed to be one more piece of information so the person knows. If if you agree with the call in the field, then the threshold is going to be lower. But if you think you if you think you see something else, then you need to find a definitive angle and be really clear and say, no, this definitely says the guy has been sa- was safe by three feet. Yeah, something like that. So I think that's the rationale behind it, and I, it makes sense from that perspective. I think. The one thing I will say is that for baseball, I think the one – I don't want to do it because at the end of the day, it is part of the game. But I really think you could fix some of the umpiring issues if you just went to uh, using the mechanical uh, strike zone. Like I kind of don't want because – because the one advantage of mechanical strike zone is that it's there. It's, it's in space and it can be the same size and it can be adjusted to the batter specifically. Mm-hmm. As, opposed to, as opposed to a play – then all of a sudden the framing a pitch is irrelevant. Because it doesn't matter how you frame a pitch. It's not going to work. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. I think, yeah, would it solve some stuff? Yeah. I think it takes away too much from the game. That's my personal opinion. It can. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not in favor of that and, and going going to, to that point at this juncture. But I do think it's the one piece of technology that we can use where you can basically figure out where the baseball is in space and time. Where yeah. technically speaking, you can't. You can try to argue with it, but you can't really dispute it because the sensors pick up where the ball is. 
relative to the plate and relative to a strike zone that would potentially match the batter based on the rules. So you could easily do that, and the technology could do that almost in real time for you. Yeah. It's not something I foresee being something done in the short run. It wouldn't surprise me if MLB started experimenting with that at some point, because then from the umpire standpoint, if you're not the one calling balls and strikes, then your job is to watch the plate, make sure, you know, fouls and do that. It's a little harder in space to do like a foul ball versus a in-play call because you're, you've got a much bigger space. But since the batter's box is in one specific spot, it's a little easier to do that with sensors and cameras today. And if you do that, then the balls and strikes are coming from a system. What are you going to yell at the umpire for? They're not going to overturn it. Mm -hmm. If you're going to yell at them, it's going to be because you think they're safe when they call you out at the plate. So I don't know. It's, it's something that I think is something that could come up in the future, not necessarily today or in the intermediate present. Yeah. So we've got football. We got baseball. We got uh, you know, and again, other than that, other than the timing with baseball, I don't really have an issue with it. I just wish they could make it happen quicker. That's the only. That's my real only thing with baseball that actually bothers me as a fan. Uh, is is that? Well, it's that, and uh, already all the other things that mess up the flow. I really think it hurts the visual presentation of a baseball game. That there's there's natural breaks which are fine, but I think we are basically creating these artificial breaks that create a little bit more of an issue. Now, basketball to me is the most egregious one because I think the refereeing is terrible. Uh, it's very inconsistent. And the players have gotten to taking advantage of it to the point that they will openly court. Like the flopping is ridiculous and doing things. I, I think the during the playoffs, my favorite thing to watch was when James Harden very clearly was putting his was moving his feet in the middle of a jump shot to try to make it so that the other players feet were in the area of his feet. Basically yeah. sticking his foot out, basically becoming a human banana in order to try to shape himself so that his feet were underneath the other guys so that they would try to draw a penalty that way or a foul. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, which is nonsense. And it's so obvious that you just look at it on tape right away. To me, that should be a foul. And the thing is, you've got to call it every time. You gotta be, If you're going to flop, if, if you go down, I want to see that somebody basically took your head off. If that happened, then so be it. Then make it a flagrant, call it all the way. Do everything you have to do, but if the guy breathed on you and you fell into the fourth row with velocity, it's kind of absurd. Yeah, no, totally. Basketball, yeah, the inconsistency is is crazy, and in terms of like star players that get it versus ones that don't, and all that kind of jazz as well. Yeah, I think it just it creates. I understand, I understand why they do it. I I get it. They give. It's the same thing that happens in baseball a little bit, where uh, a control pitcher will get the benefit of the doubt on a borderline strike. If you demonstrate that you have control, or if you're like throwing a no-hitter or something, but you're very clearly showing that your control is pinpoint, you're hitting your spots consistently, the umpire is going to give you the benefit of the doubt on a pitch that might be borderline, where on a different day where you're you're throwing wild pitches, they're going to be like, no, that's a ball. Yeah, for sure. Exact same pitch, exact same umpire, same variables, but they're going to give you that credit. Or a batter who demonstrates who's got a high average, who hits for great contact all the time. If that batter keeps the bat on the shoulder... The umpire is going to be kind of influenced indirectly to be like, well, this guy knows the strike zone pretty good. So if he's not swinging, it feels kind of borderline. Maybe it's a ball. So it kind of works both ways, really, if you yep. think about that. So there's different ways. The human element. Uh, so is there any other sport you want to hit on? Or is that kind of? Uh, well, I, I mean, just in, in terms of just saying with the basketball, like I, I really don't know how it's going to work. I'm curious. I, I mean, obviously, I have to reserve judgment. Uh, there is some replay as well, whereas the the referees will go initiate it and and go you know check check a call, so that already exists. Uh, the last two minutes of a basketball game are already freaking with you know the eighty timeouts and everything that happens are already 
crazy in terms of how they work. But a coach having one per game, I don't know. Like, if it's to say, I think it's a foul, like, nine times out of ten, it probably is going to be a foul. So I'm not really sure how how much this is really going to change outcomes or really impact the game in a significant way. I don't know. So basically, if you're taking the... And I know we haven't talked about the NHL. I'm not as well-versed in sort of what the rules are there. But in terms of the, the sports we've talked about, generally speaking, I think instant replay, VAR, coaches challenge, whatever you want to talk about is okay. I, I still don't love it, uh, but I don't. But I understand that it's because of you know the high definition replays and what you're going to see on TV and the fan experience. It's it's not going anywhere, and, and people want to see it because they can see it at home and they can see that this play should be overturned or or think they do anyway. Fine. the The one thing I wonder though is the potential trickle down effect. So if you're an official, let's say you're 13 year old umpire and you're making a bang bang play that's maybe deciding an important game. And you're going to make a call because you have to make a call. There is no instant replay. Are fans going to hold, or parents in that case, or whoever, going to hold amateur officials or expect amateur officials to have a higher standard of officiating because they're used to professional officials or or semi-professional officials, depending on the sport, A, getting it right the majority of the time, but knowing that if they don't get it right, the right call is going to eventually be made because it's going to be saved by instant replay. Whereas the the grassroots, you will, of any sport, that doesn't exist. Unless, of course, it's a Little League World Series because there is instant replay in that. It's a bit tricky. Do they really have 13-year-old umpires still? Like, is that even, is that really a thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I feel like that's you, that one huge brawl in, I think it was in Colorado. I feel, like that's too young to be an, I feel like that's too young to be an umpire. I really wouldn't want to put them in that position. I really don't think that's, I don't think that's the person because you're basically at that point just umpiring your peers. Because if, like, uh, even if you're, even if you're umpiring really small kids, they're still not that far away from being your peers. It's, it's fair it, enough. But I mean, it, it, weird. It, it, they do exist. Yeah, sure. So my answer to kind of what you're saying, and then I'll add my kind of overarching thoughts on this, is that you're never going to remove the human element. Even if you could do it successfully, people wouldn't be satisfied with that. They'll say the machine is messed up or whatever. They'll always complain. At the amateur level, uh, parents who are that obsessive about it are going to complain no matter what. As long If the calls don't go their way, it's an injustice. If the calls go their way, even if it's absurd, even if everybody in the world knows it's wrong, then, oh yeah, th- that was the right call. It's human nature. It's going to be part of it. I think the different sports are trying all these different f- variations of instant replay and coaches challenge and whatever because they really in the in the era of HD they don't want to undermine their officials and put them in a position to get a call blatantly wrong it still happens but the reality is they're trying to give these other avenues to quote unquote get the call right because that's really what they want but we do have to be aware of and kind of all the pitfalls that we've discussed kind of outline that we have to be aware of that the more you try to introduce technology and all these different aspects to try to get the call right, there is a price to pay in slowing things down, in wrecking the flow, in doing all these things. Because whereas previously, the umpire would just make a decision, and whether you agreed with it or not, that was it. Now you've got these avenues of recourse right away to try to basically challenge them or call them out. As long as you've got that, you're putting the umpires in a precarious situation where they're going to look bad anyway. Because as soon as the instant replay shows in HD that the, the thing the guy was safe by three feet, the umpire is going to look like an idiot. Maybe he was out of position. Maybe he just didn't see it. Maybe he was looking at the wrong thing. Maybe he was distracted for a second. But that's enough. 
and it undermines the credibility of the umpires themselves so that everybody thinks the umpires always get things wrong. And it's unfortunate, yeah. but it's part of the, it's part of the way the game is gone. And in the different sports, the way that the players treat the umpires, I think that will have a trickle-down effect because everybody just argues with the umpires now. It's a, it's a thing in all these different sports. And the more you allow kind of allow that to just go, at a certain point, then why are the umpires even there? Or the referees or whatever the case is because the players and the coaches are just going to challenge them at every turn. And any quote-unquote authority they might have gets undermined consistently by the league, by the players, and by the fans. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's that's a shame too because they're part of the game. They're an important part of the game. And, and they should be respected. Right? Are people going to make mistakes? Absolutely. I'm an official. I officiate three different sports. So sometimes I go come away from a game being like, oh my God, I had, that was horrible. Absolutely. More often than not, I think I did a half-decent job. But you know, I know I miss things. Depending on the sport, sometimes you think maybe more in certain sports than others. But not every sport is easy to officiate, depending on the level of play and the way the game goes. And I think that's a shame that... The expectation are rate. You shouldn't have low expectations of officials. I don't think in anything because most of the time, even in amateur sports, the officials are getting paid and and should have a certain amount of uh, expectation placed upon them. That's fine, but it, it's it's when it just gets crazy out of hand and you're like, let's let's just settle down here. I think that's a I think that's a good coverage of uh, of this. There is a lot to it. Let, let's be a hundred percent honest with you. We could have really gone into depth of any one of these. Uh, professional sports or amateur sports, you know, umpiring and refereeing and all these different areas. There's a lot to it, but the reality is that you're going to have very strong opinions on both sides of it. A lot of people are going to say, you know what, I want instant replay on everything, and other people are going to be like, you know what, just take it out. Leave the human element in. Mistakes will get made. Some some of them will be egregious, but it's part of the game because at a, there was a time when we didn't have instant replay. We didn't have coaches' challenges, and you just had to live with it. And today, in, in kind of a world where we can order things online and get them in a day, where we can stream things on demand, where we can get content of all kinds, everything is on demand, everything is the way you want it, everything can be a la carte. And when you have that, it's really hard for people to accept that in sports, sometimes you just get what you get. Sometimes you don't get to choose to have it, and sometimes they get it wrong, and sometimes you might have to live with it. But all the leagues are trying to create different variations and technologies to try to say, well, we'll try to get it so that we get it right every time. Even though that's a noble goal to achieve, to try to go for, I don't think it's fully achievable. Then, moving on, uh, I shall tell you what I'm looking forward to this week. All right, one quick thing. Let sure. me do the shameless plugs because we'll do that and then we'll do what we're looking forward to to close it off. Shameless plugs, we've got, we are the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. You can find that on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on our YouTube channel, unnecessary nonsense podcast just type it out in youtube and you'll find it and on that one you'll get archived versions of all the episodes as well as unnecessary nonsense podcast extras where if sometimes we have an offline discussion that we manage to record sometimes i'll edit something together or sometimes i'll put together a video if there's an event that happens kind of in real time with a little bit too much distance between the podcast it's a good way of keeping up and a good way of knowing when the newest podcast came out as well if you're not already subscribed to the podcast even though you should subscribe to the podcast also, we have Instagram at Unnecessary Podcast altogether, Twitter at Unnecessary underscore pod, and our site is unnecessarypod.podbean.com. Now, with all that said, good Dave, what are you looking forward to this week? All right, so I'm keeping it on a baseball level this week, and I'm only going to give you two things. So first of all, it's something I mentioned before, but obviously is now upon us. 
is the MLB trade deadline. So some moves, nothing of huge consequence has happened yet, uh, but there obviously have been some moves. And even today, there have been more moves. So I always look forward to that because it's a it's a question of, especially for the contenders, are they going to get the pieces they, they feel they need versus a team like the Blue Jays is who's going to actually get traded from the Blue Jays? Are they going to get rid of Stroman? Are they going to get rid of Sanchez? We'll see. Uh, so that is July 31st at 4 p.m. Eastern time is the official trade deadline or as some of the, the non-waiver trade deadline of MLB. And the second thing, a little bit closer to home, uh, meaning the GTA area. So if you are in the greater Hamilton area, uh, any time between August 1st and 10th, the Canadian Little League Championship is happening. And the Canadian Little League Championship is now on CBC. Oh, really? uh, not all, yeah, not all games are over the air, uh, but every game is streamed online. Obviously, the final, I've, I'm pretty sure the semifinals and the final are definitely on over-the-air television. Uh, but I know for sure every single game of, of that is live stream. So they have the full production crew out and, and all that jazz. Uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to that too. Interesting. Do they have Coach's Corner after the third inning? Who knows? They might. I'm not sure. Uh, but I will tell you this. The last time that Ann Caster hosted the Little League Canadian Championship, which was in 2010, Don Cherry threw out the first pitch of the championship game. Right there. Excitement. Serious excitement. Well, I just figure CBC has them and they're paying them a ton of money. They may as well just have they may as well just have them uh, do Coach's Corner, you know, in the middle of a break of Road to Avonlea. You know, do they, do they still have that on there? Little House on the Prairie. Can we have a Coach's Corner, you know, during one of the commercial breaks of Little House on the Prairie? Hey, uh, you know what? That would be kind of cool. <laughs> the novelty would wear off. I think after two episodes, it's like Michael Land has been dead for years. Leave the man alone. It's I I don't think we should do that to Michael Landon. <laughs> no, but 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 Road to Avonlea Coach's Corner could be entertaining. See, this is the kind of content I bring to you. You were not ready for Coach's Corner Road to Avonlea edition. No, I you know what? Regardless of the Coach's Corner or not, I was just not ready for you to mention Road to Avonlea. I got references for days, Turnbull. References but, but, for but, days. But props to you, Carlos, for you know a knowing what that is and b bringing it up in a way that actually makes sense. These are the deepest of the deepest cuts, people. Every time I say these little things, I want you to go to Google. I want you to look these things up. They happened. They're a thing. Very regional, but I'm telling you they happen. All right. For myself, looking forward to, obviously, baseball. I am going to watching a little bit more as we get into the, the meat of the season. Now, for me, late July, early August, we're, we're getting close to that stretch drive. So now the baseball games are coming up a little more. It's a little more interesting. And now that I got the PVR, sometimes I can use that. Although I do have the streaming package as well. So it just depends on how I want to watch it. And then the second thing that I'm looking forward to is that TSN does have some Aussie Rules football. So I am referencing it. And then uh, this is where the PVR comes into play, though, because if you're in North America, the hours are ridiculous. I can tell you that as we're talking right now on Friday, there was a game actually today, but it was at 11 a.m. So and there's going to be another game that's actually going to be at 2.30 in the morning uh, on Sunday. So a game on Friday at 11 a.m. and a game at 2.30 in the morning on Sunday. This is where the PVR comes into play. Last couple of uh, last couple of fight. Uh, I shouldn't say fights. Last couple of games that I watched on TSN were actually very entertaining. I enjoyed one of them was a super high scoring back and forth game. And the other one was a little bit more of a defensive struggle. But I think both of them were entertaining in their own ways. If you've never checked it out, I would I would strongly recommend it. If you can find the Samasi rules, it's a completely different sport. I think, though, one appeal that I will say to you, if you've never watched it, I think it's a fairly easy sport to learn. 
in terms of watching it and kind of understanding it, you won't understand all the nuances. But I think you'll get the general idea of the sport pretty quickly. And then if you figure that out, it becomes really easy to watch. And then you kind of know what you're seeing for the most part. Obviously, if you're a more sophisticated viewer, you'll really get the nuances. But I think you can pick it up pretty quick. So it's kind of a fun sport to watch. Plus the Aussie accents, man. Aussie accents. That's what's key, man. It's the Aussie accents. I even got to see like the pregame show. Hilarious. I enjoyed it tremendously. Very good. So those are my recommendations to you. So I think that's it for us. Thanks, as always, for watching. We appreciate it. If you can, on iTunes, leave a comment. Or, you know, if you're watching it on the YouTube, leave a comment. We'd love to get the feedback. Otherwise, we will see you on the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast.